Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, we're going back to Las Vegas to the 2023 Clock Global Institute podcast lounge. My guest is Steve Harmon, Chief Operating Officer and General Counsel at Elevate, the law company. Steve was also a founding board member of the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium, my former manager at Cisco Systems, Inc., and the guy who tasked me with making Clock's first Institute iPhone app. You know what? He actually got me into this whole legal ops thing because ops really was not my career path before he and I met. I was a tumbleweed, sort of rolling along the road. On this episode, Steve and I have a real mentorship moment. This is a personal mentorship conversation he and I have regularly. Instead, we put the microphones between us while we were in Vegas. We recount moments like Steve's mentorship me over the years, how he got me to put the guitar down and join the dark side of this legal tech and operations career. And one thing that stood out that Steve says on the episode about mentorship is that your mentors identify the opportunity for you to pursue and encourage you to pursue it when you may not have the internal confidence to go after it yourself. If you don't know this about me, guys, I sucked at this legal ops tech and leadership thing then compared to where I am today. And I'm grateful to Steve as my early leader and mentor for seeing something in me I was very slow to discover, which I still believe in. Take the long, slow road, people. Just make sure that road is peppered with mentors. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Clock Talk Podcast Lounge. Thank you. It's not what I imagined, but it's everything that I hoped for. <laughs> you and me should just write marketing copy <laughs> and look into the camera. Seriously. Yes. Everything we hoped for. Clock Talk Podcast Lounge. That's it. Steve, this is so fun to have you on in because you maybe got me into this mess. I attribute and blame and thank you on a tri-weekly cadence when we meet <laughs> for mentorship. So thank you. but. Let me ask you, because you were one of my first bosses in legal ops when I decided to get serious and stop going out on mm-hmm. tour. You right. met my former general counsel and he let me go out on tour and come back to the office and do my paralegal slash stuff. But when I got to you guys through acquisition, I was like, let me put the guitar down <laughs> and see what these weirdos are all about. As soon as I met you, I'm like, this guy has a propeller on his head and he's a black sheep. Like I knew right away. So I got serious. Yep. I mean. That was many years ago. Look at this now. Did you ever imagine I would have my own podcast lounge at the membership trade group clock that you invented with Mary, with Connie, with Brian Hub, with Lisa Connie, Chris Coates? Chris Coates, yes. Did you ever imagine this? Was this a part of your vision for me? I'm not sure that I envisioned this. I knew that if it was going to happen for one of us, it would be you. Oh, did right? you? Of course I did. Because cool. you've got the panache to handle something like this. It's not natural to me, but it's so natural for you. Oh, thank you. That's a huge compliment. You know, I didn't know I had the panache in this corporate world that Mm -hmm. we all make a living in. 
until someone at Cisco started telling me stuff. Like that's where I started getting the message. And I wanted our topic today to be about a mentorship moment. That's a theme we bring up on this podcast from time to time. And you're a huge mentor to me, a huge. I mean, you helped draw the map to put me on the map. And then I drew myself off the map, sometimes off the map. And you put, you were like, well, be careful with that kind of move because that's what we call it. The other CLM, a career limiting move. And yeah, I've learned so much from you. Not only you, the foundational experience at Cisco, someone at Cisco was Roxanne. She brought me to the compliance team mm -hmm. and said, teach them how to present. And I was like, what? I'm doing KM over mm -hmm. here. What are you talking about? And she goes, you know how to do this. Yeah. So I need you to come speak to the team of 50 or so. It was a big group. Yeah, yeah. And teach them how to present. And because she saw something in me, I went to the slides then to present because it was over WebEx. And I'm like, let me figure out how to articulate whatever they see I'm doing well. And I'll never forget that presentation. And people were on the edge of their seats and taking notes. I was like, oh. And that was like a very illuminating moment in my career. And then another big one that came from you personally, you had a leadership talk with me once. I wonder if you remember this. I'm not sure that I do. Maybe so I can try and remember I'll, I'll sit on the edge of my seat here. You know, I worked in a really cool, amazing, innovative team that you mm -hmm. built at Cisco. We were all tech program managers, essentially, kind of a foot in legal IT, a foot in like the project management and the ops. And I was newer than them to a lot of things. So I was like rough on the edges of like how to do and execute. And so I was kind of conjoined to some of them and reliant on some of them for the framework and how to do the project management pieces and the language and everything. And you did this like big separation exercise and I got mad and you pulled me in our one-on-one -on -one and you said, look, you said this so clearly to me. You said, listen up, I did this because you are actually someone tracked for leadership. And I see that and we see that. And part of the road for you to get there, Jen, is you need to be Jen and kind of have your own product in your own way to execute all the things more. And I was like, whoa, they, <laughs> you saw something in me that I always wondered and knew I felt it inside. And you helped like connect the outer world to this inner wonder in me, which I'll just bury in self-doubt or being too cerebral or I get distracted. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, I do. I do now that you bring it up. I think you're touching on an important theme with mentorship generally, and that is oftentimes it's your mentors that identify the opportunity for you to pursue yeah. and encourage you to pursue it when you may not have the internal confidence to go after it yourself. Yeah. You know my mentor. If I pulled you aside and said, hey, who's my mentor? You know, I would immediately answer Mark. So Mark Chandler, for those of you that aren't aware, was the general counsel of Cisco. And when he originally approached me with the opportunity of establishing a legal operations function, my response was, Mark, if you ask me to do that, I'll quit. And he said, why? And I said, well, there's not really a career path called legal operations. I've never met What anyone. Was the year? What year was that around? Oh, six? Around oh, six. Yeah. yeah. And I said, you don't have a deputy general counsel of legal operations. Nobody does. That title doesn't exist. And he said, I don't have one yet or something to that effect. Yeah. So we had a conversation then and that turned into a series of progressions, tasks that he gave me and, and tasks that we accepted as a team 
now that you mentioned that story, I do remember that I did have to approach you and say, listen, you can take the easy way of relying on your colleagues, that you have wonderful relationships and that's a good thing. But as long as you tie yourself to those colleagues, you won't separate yourself in any way and you'll be missing an opportunity. So yeah, yeah, I remember that conversation. And let's be clear, some of these colleagues, they were way more experienced than me and just chops, tech language and like they didn't mess up as much as I did. I was running into walls with like implementation. I would build a product and Bhaskar, uh, my old manager, your old director said to me, he's looking at the expertise locator. I think it was, I just built and he goes, cool. Thanks for showing me the back end of it. Where's the front end? And I was like, this is the front end. Dun, dun, dun. And I was like, wow, I messed up. And I over relied on some of my colleagues to do the UI and the UX design on it. And I failed and I owned that one. And he kind of built on the lecture you gave me. Well, but you learned from it too, right? One of the biggest challenges we've all faced in the operation space is org adoption. And if you don't have a good UI, your chances at org adoption decrease materially. And that became your strength actually, right? So once you were pushed to the edge of, no, they're not just going to accept this because you said it's a good idea or heaven forbid Steve or Mark said it's a good idea. They've got to get comfortable with the UI. Then you rotated to that, embraced it. And then that's become kind of the hallmark of one of your core competencies. It's so true, which I didn't even know that was my Mm -hmm. core competency. Recently, you were coaching me on a job interview. I was testing the market (laughs) like I do every time a company calls or every year or so in a company, I test the market. Do it, you guys. (laughs) They asked me what my superpower was or something, and I riffed on something completely ridiculous. And you were like, that's not your superpower. It's org adoption. And I was like, shit, (laughs) I messed up. I sometimes, I am the last to my own party, of my own self-awareness party. I rely on mentors and people like you in my life to just always be in this dialogue with me over the years. And I thread this stuff and just get that sense of reality, how I'm perceived. We don't get to see that. And you offered that to me in so many ways and it hasn't stopped. But I was going to thread this Cisco part through. Some of these folks were way more skilled at the work than I was. You peeled me kind of apart from them and said, but you're a leader. And Mm -hmm. I went, oh, and I took that really seriously. And now I happen to be managing a few of them. I'm their leader over at Netflix. And thanks. Thanks for lifting me and my perspective up and giving me permission to leapfrog into what I do think I'm best suited for, which is leadership. You helped me articulate that it's because I came pre-installed with EQ. You're very welcome. I'm glad to have participated on that journey. It reminds me of an anecdote that I've shared with you in the past. Another wonderful mentor of mine, Van. Yes, Van Dang. Van, Van Dang, who gave me a bit of feedback in a performance review one time. I see you smiling because I think you know what I'm going to say. And that was, Steve, you're often wrong, but never in doubt. And she said, that's your Achilles heel. You've got to be very, very careful about that. (laughs) To to be told that you're often wrong, but never in doubt is an eye opener. At first, I took it pretty hard. But then she gave me the second order analysis of that at the time. And she said, part of the reason you have to be careful is that you can persuade people to follow you. You have a talent for that, a certain amount of charisma, I guess, not to pat myself on the back. But she just said, 
if you're not careful, when you're wrong, you will persuade people to follow you. So being a leader for you, Steve, is going to require you to be open to the suggestions of others in a way that maybe others don't have to do because they're smarter than you. They don't make the same mistakes that you do. The good thing is, is once you're on the right path, you have the right skill set to get people to follow you. God, that is dark. (laughs) That's clinical. She's Scorpio. I bet you she is. I'm going to look up Van's chart later. And I'm not going to say that you were often wrong and never in doubt, but I will say that you have some of those same skills. And I think I recognized that early that properly deployed around the correct answers, the correct path, you have a real talent for getting people to follow you as well. And so the thing for you to focus on, I'm not sure that when we first had that conversation, you would have been as self-aware to say, you know what, some of my colleagues here are actually more experienced than me. They know more than me about this. You didn't have that same self-awareness yet. You and I have both developed that over time. Yeah. And I was really cloaked in imposter syndrome in those years because I was out of music, playing music full time and releasing records and stuff. And I was just so rough on the edges and I wasn't confident in the corporate world. I knew some of the lingo, but just didn't have the time, the year, the YOE and the years of experience in it. So I just felt so rough on the edges. I felt so insecure. So it took me those few years. And I I mean, the person I came into Cisco as the, the professional and the person I come out as, they weren't very different, but there was a super evolution that happened. I don't think your talents really changed. It was the refinement of the application of those talents, right? And so you had all of the innate leadership. You just needed to be comfortable with the fact that there might be a subject matter expert that worked with you or for you, now more often for you. It's okay to not be the smartest person in the room on every topic as long as you recognize those qualities in others and then you can lead people to follow them. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to be the smartest person. I do try to be the most creative, though. I want to be the Picasso in every room going, let's play and draw stuff. I'm kook like that. And uh, funnily enough, at Cisco and the role I had there, I got to do that. You guys gave me a lot of latitude to be creative. And then you pushed me into creative. I was talking on the previous podcast about And I talk about this a lot. I think it's really important for our audience to know. I worked remote from a lot of the team that was based in San Jose, California. You were mostly Vegas, me and a few in New York, and then some in Europe. And then we had some India cohorts all solving the tech stuff. So I was alone a lot. I was remote. And you were always really transparent with me, A, about the benefits and the limits of being remote. And you said, make sure, like if you're remote and you broke it down, like your true engineering brain, (laughs) your true undergraduate degree engineering brain, you were like, if you're not commuting that, you know, one to two hours a day, you'll spend in the car and getting all ready in that respect. Take those one or two hours or at least half that time and devote it towards something in your branding bucket. So your coworkers know you, you're known. Mm-hmm. Maybe have an extra virtual coffee, get to know someone or something. You don't want to trail behind because you were remote for those years in Vegas yeah. from San Jose and doing those extra hours so that you were known quantity and you have the relationships built. And I still give that advice to people today. Like a woman asked on my team a few years ago, can I be remote? And I said, no, like it's not going to work at Netflix right now. She's like, well, I have a commute from Orange County. I'm like, let's come up with a plan. 
first six months, you're here every day. And then at the six month mark, you can go home and only be here one day a week. Then come in in a year and do it again for three months and go home and you have to kind of bank. Yeah. And I learned that from you. Yeah, I'm impressed that you remember it in such detail because that's exactly the advice that I shared with you. And I was fortunate that Cisco allowed me to work remote. This was way before the concept was was popular in any way. Essentially, I've been at least partially remote for 25 years, including now. So I'll share a couple of those points that we talked about expanding on the, the one you gave. And that was, number one, remind myself that not all of my colleagues had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's a quick way to breed resentment yeah. if you're not careful about it. And so I set a goal for myself that said, I acknowledge that I'm probably more productive when I'm home, but I'm also far less collaborative yeah. unless I take affirmative steps to address that upfront. And so what that meant for me was that at least half of the time that I estimated that I saved from not having to commute, I would dedicate towards personal development and being able to deliver more. And then the remaining 25 to 50% was all about establishing the personal relationships and the branding, as you described it, that would otherwise suffer from me being away. It it wasn't enough to simply say, oh, I don't have a commute, so I can take all that time back and spend it at the gym or enjoying my hobbies. And that turned into a lot of conversations with my colleagues during their commute home. You know, I've talked to a lot of Californians (laughs) commuting home. I've been in a lot of people's cars, more than I care to admit. That's it. While they drive, you talk, and some of it's business related and some of it's not. But making sure that you take the necessary steps to counteract those negative impacts of being remote. The other one, and I know you remember this too, is I always dressed for the office, whether I was going to the office or not. And so at least from the waist up while we were on video, I may have been doing the newscaster and wearing shorts, but but I had a button down on and everyone else knew that. Yeah, you were always dressed and it set a good bar for the team. We should be dressed for our roles. You know, you gave me this creative latitude too. And that formula, Mike Naughton, one of your other directors and my manager in the first half of my run at Cisco, challenged me. He gave me a reach project. He said, Todd made a video on how to set up the webcam so we can all be on video. He's like, you're going to make an instructional video. And I was like, Jesus, (laughs) what? No, (laughs) this is rubbish. Because my actual like default mechanism is to just rebel against what any authority. I'm aware. Oh, you're aware. Okay, see, I'm confessing this as if this is news to him. And he's like, I know you idiots. And someone tells me to do it. I'm like, no, I was going to be graded on this at work. So I was like, okay, the paycheck started getting good at Cisco. So I'm like, I'll make the damn video. So I make an instructional video and I'm like, Knowledge management is about that. And I put myself to sleep. I remember yeah. being so sleepy listening to myself narrate the video. And we put it out and it was mediocre. It was fine. And I was like, done, checking the box. And Mike's like, do it again. I'm like, God, <laughs> who is this guy? And so I was like, I'll do another one. I did a third one. That turned into the Friday Minute. And then we branded it the Friday Minute. And I put them out on Fridays. They were one minute videos. They were instructional designed and animated by me. I invented a cartoon character. We named him Mark. Curly fictional. <laughs> he was in a little blue suit. And he was very South Parky. And I used PowerPoint only yeah. as the engine. And I would just like slide him across the screen and go, here's Mark. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon and he needs to know what entity to sign before he... 
his contract before he goes off on his two-week vacation. And then I put Mark on a surfboard in PowerPoint, <laughs> surfing on a wave and a plane flew overhead with the Cisco logo. I went from zero to out of control. Yeah, you went from not wanting to do it to loving it. To loving it. Let's be clear. Yeah. And then you guys were like, whoa, whoa. And you called me one day. Do you remember this combo? And you were like, do you like how rain man I am about combos? <laughs> yeah. I'm the rain man. Right. And you called me one day and you're like, what do you need for these videos? And you, what were the words you said? You said, you basically said, we are jazzed by all of this. The yeah. department, you're hitting it out of the park on these. What do you need? Anything you want, it's yours. And I was like, uh, okay, uh, the best Mac there is, a Wacom tablet. I want a bowl of green M&Ms. I need new shoes. And can I get the cell phone reimbursed again? I just started listing things yeah, out. And that, you was, were, that was your first Mac Pro, I think. Yeah, you guys got me a Mac Pro. And it was just like, because I proved it with nothing. Yeah. And right. I think that's such a great ethos. That's what clock is about. Like bootstrapping ideas into a minimum viable concept and putting it out there and testing the market. And we had 500 people or so in legal, 450-ish, yeah. another few hundred contractors. And they were benefiting and learning from these videos. Yeah. Pivot tables for lawyers kinds of videos. And I always wrote a joke in and had a punchline at the end. And we brought it full circle and there was Mark <laughs> on his vacation. I had it, but you guys nurtured it. And I wouldn't have even known to bring all my creativity in and out like that. And I just always say to people like, you guys taught me how to fly. You took me to altitude. Well, it's kind of you to say. One of the things that we realized early on was that the videos were resonating a lot better than the written instructions that yeah. we would give to yeah, people. Yeah, all those FAQs. And, and then you gave me all the FAQs, websites full of them. Yeah. And I just was like, trash, yeah. trash, trash. They, and, that, well, and they deserved it, right? Yeah. With apologies to my colleagues in the legal community. Lawyers read very well, apparently, yeah. Yeah. until they have to read an FAQ yeah. or a set of instructions yeah. on how to do something. Yeah. So the video format resonated very, very well. And so we latched on to that and then you took it to the next level. I mean, if I had to make videos, you know what they would turn out to be. I'm technically proficient yeah. with the tools. It would sound like an engineering manual. Yeah. You I, have an engineering brain. I'm technically proficient with the tools, but my creativity is not my strong suit when yeah. it comes to that type of work. So recognizing that we had a problem to solve, the videos became fun, but we never lost the underlying reason that yeah. we're doing these isn't to get a laugh out of the department. It's yeah. the utility of those things. And so... I don't know if you remember, but you and I did a presentation together on email best practices oh, yeah. and whether or not this was when, I think there's a clock sponsor, X1 Software, yeah. came out with the capability to search your email inbox. They would index all of your emails yeah. word by word. And at the time, the best practice was to take all of your emails and create these really elaborate folder trees oh, where you would store oh everything. God. Someone put, like talked me through their folder tree <laughs> once on the phone in Cisco and I woke up an hour later. I'm like, what happened in that meeting? I was so bored. Yeah. I mean, the taxonomy that people used was in incredible. That word gives me the chills, taxonomy. <laughs> and they're not the good chills. <laughs> well, that's my thinking versus yours again. But Remember, you and I put together this presentation yeah. that was, hey, stop spending time maintaining all of these folder structures. Yeah. Just have a set of rules that you use to store your email. Yeah. And we had to teach people Boolean search logic yeah, and, and how to search. But after that, I think we 
dramatically improved people's productivity with respect to the email application because they stopped trying to organize everything as if they were a card catalog in the university library. I remember that presentation. Just this whole thing of like personal branding. If you're going to be remote, like you can use creativity to really be known and to really make up for the loss of not running into people at the water cooler. And you really taught me that. And I never realized, I just, I'm so clueless. Even my (laughs) wife said, it took way too long to crack you. I'm very (laughs) clueless sometimes because I'm always spinning in a creative idea. I didn't know the impact I had at Cisco until I left. And I didn't realize the value of those videos. And, you know, I left Cisco 60 videos later. And some of them had tens of thousands of views on big enterprise-wide tools, the how-to and why use this tool. And in my final month at the company, an animation team self-formed inside Cisco. And we were going to make the commercial for Cisco's new collaboration product at the time that was like Slack. It was so magical. They, they found all my videos. Team video- space. Team space, thank you. Yeah. They found all my videos. They're like, oh my God, you can draw. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we just need you to draw. He'll do lighting. He'll do shadows. They'll do the VO, the voiceover. And I started drawing some really cool images. And I was like, but I'm resigning. I'm going to Spotify in a month or something. And it was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And a validation that like I could have worked my way into the marketing and the whatever, just from this fluke side project. And I remember people writing me emails a month or so after I was gone, months after, like, we really missed you. I was like, wow, Uh, you do? Do you remember the article, not to put you on the spot, but I used to make, make is too strong of a word. I used to encourage and then measure. Yeah, encourage (laughs) and measure. (laughs) Members of our team on an article called the WOW Project. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we used to call these our WOW Project. That's right. And one of the key observations, it's a great article. I encourage people to go read it. It's still out there. It's still relevant. But one of the key observations in that article was that any project you embark on, you have a couple of choices. You can either do the minimum required to deliver and meet the need, or you can look for the underlying reason why a project has been assigned to you and really focus your efforts on addressing that reason. And one of the examples was someone being asked to clean out and organize a warehouse that was a mess. And the basic threshold deliverable is to clean up the warehouse once. The wow delivery of that project is to figure out why the warehouse became a mess in the first place and put processes and systems into place to make sure that the warehouse never became a mess again. And you know this very well. My first foray into an operational type focused role was when I was asked to participate in negotiating Cisco's indirect procurement contracts. Nobody aspires, this may be too strong of a statement, but I certainly Nobody wants to do that. I I didn't aspire to be. But you did it in a wow mode. And that was the point. When I was asked to support the procurement, the indirect procurement process, we figured out a way to optimize our clause and template libraries and to assemble negotiation guidance in a way that dramatically reduced the amount of time that lawyers were required to spend negotiating those contracts. And when I started the project, there were five of us, five members of the technology licensing team who spent some material portion of our time negotiating indirect procurement contracts. And when we finished, we had it down to 
essentially 20% of one lawyer's time. So one day a week, one lawyer would dedicate themselves to this. And that literally, that one project became the genesis of my legal operations career because when Mark saw that output, he said, that same level of process optimization can be applied to other problems that we have. And I would like you to take on this new role that I'm going to call legal operations. And here we are. Here here we are many years later. And then you needed to find the other use in 2006, 2009, 2010 timeframe. And you started calling your peers at Mm. the Intels, the NetApps, the Flexes, the Googles of the world on the Bay Area. And you guys started book clubbing and getting together every couple months to talk about how you're doing it and what you're licensing, oh, what you're building, because the market was nascent, if, yeah. if that. And there was you, Chris Coates at Oracle, Mary at Google, Lisa at Adobe, Brian, who was at EA, Brian was right. at Dolby, uh, then went to Facebook. Steph Corey Steph from Corey was Flextronics. At Flextronics. And I, I'm always leaving one person out. Which is unintentional. No, yeah, unintentional. But there you all were. That is how this started. And Jeff at Yahoo. And Jeff at Yahoo, of course. And here we are. It's 2023. This is more than 10 years later, 10 to 15 years later. This is sold out. Yeah. And how many people I met that are new to clocks, still new to the role? My face is on a poster. (laughs) I'm so it's facing me, which is I like my face, but it's kind (laughs) of awkward. We should turn that. And it's only getting bigger and we're still only starting. So innovation happens by accident sometimes and you have to follow the accidents. And I think the WOW project, everyone listening, whatever you work, you get assigned, do it with the WOW factor and see where it takes you and let people see things in you you can't see. And you can invent an industry Mm. and a trade group like these guys have, Steve Harmon. Thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing your wisdom. I enjoyed it very much. More soon. Yep, thanks. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you, Steve, for showing me the gateway to legal ops and for imparting some career wisdom on the podcast today. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.